So, Faye, what do you got for us? A group of carpet fitters are sent on a job to an old country house in the middle of nowhere. However, they soon discover it's a trap set up by the savage, cannibalistic family, the Hannings. The carpet fitters are forced to fight for their lives or risk ending up being that evening's dinner. Unfortunately, they are not quite your typical heroes. Well, I guess it's true what they say. Never work on an empty stomach. This sounds like a job for... Prime Scene Investigation. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of I Spit on Your Grave Presents Prime Scene Investigation. Thank you for joining us. I am joined by Detective Mills, better known as Faye. Yo. Detective Somerset, better known as Mercer. Boom. How are we both? Are we well? Not so bad, yourself. Like I don't know, like you don't live here. Yeah, not like I'm sitting 20 foot away from you. Yes, yeah. I am very well, thank you. Mercer, how are you? I am great. I am ready to um, do some deep diving. We've got a treat, actually. We've got 2017's Cannibals and Carpet Fitters from James Bush. Not um, Cannibals versus Carpet Fitters, as we've been mistakenly calling it. All kind of all carpet fitters versus zombies. I spent the entire week calling it. <laughs> that was not even perfect. <laughs> on our Twitter account, I've been putting the clues out all week. I very nearly put a picture of the zombies on, and absolutely no one would have got the film from that. <laughs> I don't know. So, who'd seen this before then? Anyone? Da-da! Yes, I saw this a while back. Um, and I'm not a massive fan of revisiting that many films, um, but so far our investigations have led me to revisit every film that I've ever watched. <laughs> that's your own fault for watching too many films, though. That's not on us, that's on you, surely. This is going to be a long-running show as we go through every film Mercer has ever watched. I apologise. I have a prime obsession and quite often just play random number generator on my own and go, you will do. Um, so th- there is a chance that we might have, I might have seen a few, but that's good because it just means that um, I've got more knowledge. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that at all. Can I just quickly throw out there before we get into this deep dive um, that I don't know if we mentioned it on last week's episode, Speaking of Prime and Prime Obsession, uh, the film on there, Deadly Infidelity, I don't know if we mentioned it or not. If we didn't, uh, can I please direct you to Darren Gaskell's Socially Distanced Cinema to check out this week's episode that discusses Deadly Infidelity because it's worth your time. Just go have a listen. That's all I wanted to do before we got into it. Sorry. It's It's a weird dichotomy where the film's worth absolutely none of your time. But Darren's podcast completely is. And really, you have to watch the film in order to appreciate the pod. Before we go any further with our deep dive, we just, just say this will contain huge spoilers throughout the entire episode for the film. So if you haven't watched 
carpet fears and cannibals yet, you may want to go and check that out first before listening to the episode. Also, this is something that I'm stealing from Darren Gaskell um, because we never do it, but apparently everyone else does, is they warn everyone that there might be some bad language um, and we are filthy fucking bastards, so there will be some bad language. I don't think we should be announcing it. I think we should be surprising people. You know, they go in and they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so so polite with their fucks. Um, Which we are not. <laughs> I just want to um, present a few facts about this film that's I think is important to the investigation. Um, and just to give a little bit of background on... <clears throat> on the film. So I just want to remind everyone that this, this like most um, horror films, was actually born as a short film. And I think the success of the short film is what led it to become um, a feature event. I'm not sure whether the short film was a proof of concept. That I don't know, because I can't find that information. But I do know that it played um, in some really impressive places, so like Cannes, New York, Los, Los Angeles, Leeds. Um, in Leeds, it did win the um, <laughs> it was Leeds International Film Festival and it did win the Dead Cert Award for the Best Short Horror Flick, so the actual short, and then obviously it became the feature with a budget of about £100,000, which I think is pretty impressive. Like For the quality of the film, I think that's pretty impressive. Um, and the film itself also won a few awards, so it won the Audience Award for the best international feature at Nevermore Film Festival 2018 and the jury prize, jury prize for best feature at the Unrestricted Film Festival 2017. I also think it's key to mention that the writer, Richard Lee O'Donnell, is also one of the cast members because he's my favourite cast member, just so you know. Um, that's some pretty impressive awards under your belt. Mm. For, for a film that I hadn't heard of until you'd met well until we found it on prime and you said you'd seen it that's impressive i think it is and i think when you look at some films in the budget like you said about the lindsay lohan film at that mm. massive budget but it was like a green screen mess of hell um which <laughs> i haven't been seen. too kind if i'm quite honest that's a yeah <laughs> I haven't seen it, but like from I've seen trailers and I'm like, oh god, this looks terrible. And then I'm like, if if you compare it to something like this, like a British kind of low budget, hundred thousand pounds, definitely low budget, and it definitely has it looks more expensive than that, I think. But then I am cheap as well, so maybe most things look expensive to me. No, no, agreed. Um, the the effects in it, which we'll discuss in greater detail, I, I found looked really, really good. Um, and I, I, do you know what? I'm not going to unpack it here. Let's just, let's start from the beginning. It's a very good place yeah. to start. And open it does with everyone's favourite TV presenter slash friend slash Frightfest quiz host, Alex Zane. Yes, not only Alex Zane, but the absolutely fantastic Jessica Jane Stafford, who, does everyone remember the real hustle? No. Yes. The, so they hustle people in streets or whatever, she was one of the, the people who did the hustle anyway. <laughs> yeah. not, not like a charity mugger, not a chugger. <laughs> She's actually, she yeah. said hustle, not hassle. Hustle, hustle. 
Hustle, that's what I mean. Yeah, I know, I know the show, I know the show, uh, so yeah. But it's a nice, good, uh, it's a, a, a two quite well-known people to kick off a film that, like you've just said, fair people don't really know. Mm. And it's a weird, well, not a weird start, but it's, it's shot in a completely different way from the rest of the film, because it's shot as a found footage dealio with the guys going camping. I, I was quite. I, I was hoping that was going to continue throughout. I thought that would have been quite because you don't really get many British films that do that, apart from A Night in the Woods. Um, you don't get many that go on like this. Found well, <laughs> couldn't think of another example. My apologies, um, but you don't get many that do the found footage thing for British films. I don't think. And, and I've got to say, you know, I, I know it opens up in the you know the camping and they get lost in the woods and something comes and gets them. I don't believe for a second they were lost at all because you could clearly see they were on a path. Just follow the path. You would have got back to where you came from. You can feel it underfoot, even if it's dark. So straight away, I was picking fault with the logistics of it. What if it's like a racetrack and they just go around in circles for all eternity? In the middle of a forest. Yeah, and I'm sure, as like God would say, not all paths lead you in the right direction. All right, Jesus. Oh. As I'm getting older, my taste changed quite dramatically because years ago, which you'll know more than anyone for, I had such an issue with any British film, any British actor, <laughs> comedy horror. I'm just like, hate, 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 hate it all. Um, but this was on, and um, even though I'm going to say, I don't think, I, f- I felt like they were acting, so it didn't feel natural, but I did find myself sat with, like, this really big goofball smile all the way through, like, their kind of, like, back-and-forth relationship, and I kind of really liked them together. I think it's because you don't, I, you, you know, it's acting like you say, but it's not. It's not really bad dialogue like you get in some films. It it doesn't feel natural, but it doesn't feel forced upon you as well. And but I actually really enjoy like so. I know you said the state the script is not irrelevant. What I really enjoy is when they're running away. The fact that he's like this arm off and leaves her behind and just keeps turning around. Going, Come on. <laughs> And then she's like, you've left me. I can't believe you've left me. I'm like, God, I can imagine that that would be a real scenario. I've been in that scenario, you know, where your partner decides to leave you in a shed because there might be something scary in there and just fucks off in front. Isn't that right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, that is true. And it's weird that Mercer's saying about, obviously, how he's grown to love British films. Because one of us said with such absolute disdain at the start of the film, oh, my God, it's British. Who could that possibly have been when I when I realised it was a British film we were watching? Did I? You absolutely one hundred percent did. Did you? I don't you remember know? that. You are an advocate for British cinema. What's happened to you? I think he's making shit up. If I'm quite honest, I think he's making this up. Obviously, people at home can't see. Everyone can see my 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 first note says. Faye says, oh, my God, it's British. Just because you write it down doesn't make it true. Look, I can write, you know, Chris is a unicorn and show you, but he doesn't make it true. Are you a unicorn? I am a unicorn. I'm not getting my horn out for anyone, but yes, 
Yes, Regardless, I, I, I apologize. I do not recall saying that. I'd just woken up. So maybe that's what that was. It was a knee jerk reaction. Maybe I thought it was American, but I absolutely don't remember saying it. Um, I mean, I, I know we spent a long time on the opening, but did anybody else dig the quite obvious reference to the remake of Dawn of the Dead in terms of its title? The kind of, it, it's like a flash and then like a metal sound in the background and it's all very start of Dawn of the Dead, I thought. I did not get that. That's that's interesting. I did not get that. All I thought was it was like a really cheap Blair Witch project. There are so many references throughout. Um, obviously, lots of Texas Chainsaw references. Just before they cock it, because the special effects, I think we get his first taste of like the special effects makeup with Alex Zane being mm-hmm. killed. Um, and how like when his body drops, I'm like, this looks pretty darn good. And I, I'm like, that's really impressive. And then we get Jessica's, sorry, she's called Jillian in the film. Then we get Jillian's death scene. And I will, honestly, I was like, are you serious? Like that axe through the head. Did you not think that looked amazing? I did. I thought all, I thought really every death, I thought it looked absolutely amazing. And there were some like proper jumps in there as well that I've not even, you know, you wouldn't get from a big budget film. They just came out of nowhere and they were great. But that axe, I mean, it, it wouldn't, oh, I'm torn, right? Because... Do you look at these things realistically when doing a deep dive or do you just take them for what they are? Like that axe through the head, there's absolutely no way it would split someone straight into, would it? It gets stuck in the skull and you'd have to yank it out. I mean, we can ask Lauren about this. She'll know because of humanness anatomy thing, but it still looked good. I think that Mrs. Hannah, who wiped her with the axe, is incredibly strong and potentially would be able to go straight through skull, brain, jaw, and possibly some spine in one sweep. You think she's strong? She takes some battering and still gets up. I think she's strong. She gets knocked out after one punch in one scene. That's not strong. I don't think I don't think realism is an issue here. Anyway, I think we're okay. I think we're okay with accepting that you can split someone's skull open. Well, in one I, go with an axe. I'm okay with pointing out these things. So that's just how it's going to be. I'm sorry. I'm going to be that person. No, and that's fair. That is fair. But um, while we're talking about just because I think that effect looks really good, Seth. Do you think? Because um, something that we never do is really give a shout out to. I say a shout out like they're listening and they're going to be uber excited. <laughs> but. <laughs> but special effects makeup artists on the film. So um, Jane Hyman, Heather Simmons, uh, Simon, sorry, and Steve Asker all did like the special effects makeup. Um, and I, I, you know, I think it's a really good set. Of, like throughout the film, I think the the special effects are really cool. Mm. So big up to them and the work that they did off, on an obvious limited budget. Yeah, yeah, there are some really good ones. Um, like as the film moves on, you obviously find out that the family are cannibals and that they are ringing some carpet fitters to come and do this old house, which I believe is a church, if I'm quite honest, because it looks like it's got pews in the fucking entranceway, so it can't be anything but a church. And they turn up and obviously start getting off one by one. And they are not shy in offing those people. Like, people drop like flies in this film. 
There is no brand loyalty to your characters at all. I mean, apart from the last two, they kill basically everybody. And there's one uh, in particular where I didn't get a name. I'm sorry. The the lady copy fit. (laughs) Thank you. So when Tasha gets thrown into this pit with this, what I'm going to assume is a cannibal werewolf, because that's what he sounds like, or, you know, just a cannibal with a really bad throat infection. Um, And she manages to get away at one point, but then out of nowhere, this fucking nail just comes and like right through her cheek, which made me jump because I honestly didn't expect it. It just came out of nowhere. And that looked amazing. And like I said, you can give me a big budget film that would not get a reaction out of me like that scene did. As you say, it does come out of nowhere. But let's let's just rewind back and meet meet the characters a bit because, as I say, we go back to the start where we have Tasha and her colleague whose name is completely escaped me, Chris. Chris, who, as Faye pointed out, is the stripper in the inside the Manai Nana's party episode. Which the casualty guy. The casualty guy. You can't, so, you can't see this on the recording, but I'm just going to do the gesture in the... You saw it. You that's liked it. That's, that was a visual treat for Melissa. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so Chris and Tasha. And the, the thing that I have here is it's a good job the special effects work is so good and the film picks up pace and the stuff when they're fighting cannibals and all that stuff works so well. Because the actual interactions and the story for the characters when they're left on their own is not that great. From those two interacting together, every other interaction I'd say is perfectly fine. I think I was saying to this, I was saying this to Mercer before uh, we started recording. I think one of the main reasons the film works is because it's got a nice balance of the dialogue and the special effects and the horror and the comedy. There's, there's never one element that's more prominent than the other. And I think that's why it works so well. I agree, but I also disagree with the Chris <laughs> shocker um, about the relationship between Chris and Tasha. I actually really enjoyed that. To me, it read like um, she's a, a female working in a man's world who's surrounded by misogyny, um, and Chris is very much a ladies' man. And throughout, yes, Chris, you are, but Chris is very much a ladies' man who um, is always like, you know, this is showing her a picture of her phone going, don't look at my muscles in that, don't I look good in that. And it's clear that his intentions are, he wants to bang Tasha, but she's just not interested in him. And then I think I get that dynamic from them as uh, being like, actually, I've got a bit more control over you because I know how desperate you are for me. I just got the feeling that you were an idiot, if I'm honest. I didn't see any sort of, what you just said there, I just thought you were a moron. As a feminist, I'm disappointed in you, fair. <laughs> no, I do. I do genuinely felt like Tasha's character is, is puts not puts on a tough front, but is tougher um, than some of the male characters because of, in my, like, from what you get, she's surrounded by men who probably don't treat her the same. 
with the same kind of respect that they give each other. And the banter's also different between if you look at Tash and Chris versus um, Dean and Colin, it's very different kind of banter because of, I'm going to guess, like a gender difference. Could be, it could be how they know each other as friends more, could be how, they, how comfortable they are with each other. But, you know, it, it all did no good anyway because she cocked it. What I find interesting, like you said, her death comes out of nowhere, but that also means that there's no females left in the film other than the female badder. And that's like actual, like for survival, not counting the terrible, terrible receptionist at the carpet shop. But um, honestly, well, I was hoping like, was going to die, by the way, and didn't. Yeah. But like, let's just let's just have a cannibal rock up and eat it just for fun of it. Yeah. But, uh, let's have a carpet character. fall on her. She's moving. <laughs> fucking, she's moving a roll, and it just crushes her. Maybe even Nigel, just before he left, ramp phone down and there and go. I'm sick to death of you, you little bastard. <laughs> Get some work done. No, you're my daughter, but fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. Um, no, but no, but they, like you know, because she did deserve it. Out of all the characters, she was the worst mm-hmm. um, as a person, um, just because she did do a job, and I'm very you know passionate about doing your job well. Um, but I do like the fact that it, it kind of flips that kind of last girl, final girl thing on its head, and as as final boys. Again, that that wasn't something I really picked up on. It, it was just because they were killing people at such a rate. I just took it that everyone was fair game in this film. You know, your chances of survival were no different to the person you were stood next to. It didn't matter. There were no tougher what. Like I mean, like one of the final guys, Colin. Colin. Yeah. Yeah, Colin the carpet fitter, which does sound a lot like Colin the caterpillar. So don't sue MNS. Um, he's he's a big bloke, right? And even his, I don't want to say performance, like the, the way he acts around that massive were cannibal, it's just ridiculous. He doesn't put any sort of oomph into it. It's not like just because he's a big guy, he's got any sort of strength. They all just appear to be normal, just normal guys. Well, as you as you say, there's. No one seems to be stronger than the other. Everyone seems to be fair game for the brawls. The, the men and women are treated with just the same level of violence. In a way, the fight with Tasha and the guy at the start where she gets a leg broken and the, the way they interact is very much like... You've seen Double Date, Faye. I know you have. Yes, I love Double and Date. Mercer, have you seen Double Date? I haven't. The Danny Morgan one. There's a long, there's a long fight scene in that with a guy and a woman, absolutely beating seven shades out of each other. Neither, neither one getting an advantage or looking weak. Just both of them absolutely wailing on each other, and it's very much in that way where no one, no one's portrayed as particularly weak or strong. It's just everyone's fair game. Everyone can be hurt and just have fun with it. Talking about the fight scene, um, again for such a low budget. I thought the choreography for that particular fight scene was really cool. I really loved the, like when he throws her into the chair and then slides her forward into his, uh, and grabs her by the neck. I thought that all looked really good. Mm. Interesting fact, again. So Zara uh, Pythian, who plays Tasha, is a trained martial artist. So like, so I'm guessing most of the fight scene stunts will have been stuff that she does herself. She's also 
because I looked at this, the very first British martial artist in the world to be inducted into the international karaoke, no, international (laughs) karate and kickboxing hall of fame, which I think, again, is really impressive. There are also two other characters that do have their career set in, like, stunts. Um, The guy who plays the big body cannibal, he's been in, like, Prometheus and um, Star Wars and such, and Chris as well. He's uh, a stunt double. So they've clearly chose them for those good fight scenes. So, and then just reverting back to Colin, I just want to revert back to Colin. Again, something that I like as a, and, and I guess, like, You'd, you'd see it differently, like, not differently. So when you watch a film, it's always nice to have people to relate to. And when you put this film on, there's no way I can relate to Chris. And like in most horror films, it's really hard to relate to a lot of the male characters because they're normally, no matter what, even if you're a nerd, there are muscles stood underneath it all. Um, or there's, you know, there's something about them. So it's really nice to watch a film where we've got, like, pretty kind of typically normal looking British unfit couple of blokes like running around like trying to protect themselves and also not being like we're men we can do this but being like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) it's a really nice refreshing change the fact they can make absolutely awful mistakes like after Tasha is killed as we were saying with the arrow for the head when they're around the back of the van they go right we're going to run for it. And the slowest run across an, op- an open field when they get about eight foot before realising it's a bad idea and double back. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit. Because that's exactly what you, Yeah. That's exactly what you do. You go, right, run for it. And then get out in the open field. Oh, shit. Go back. Yeah. Especially, like, if you have a certain body size, like, so particularly me, if I said run for it, I know for a fact that after, like, Three seconds, I'm going to be on my knees, gasping for breath and crawling. Like, oh, I can't do this. I wouldn't even like be able to do three seconds and be like, my knees have gone. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> just be lying there. Just kill me. Just kill me now. Oh. I'm bloody worse. It's funny. It's funny. It's funny because it's, tr- it's, it's diabetes and it's true. <laughs> <laughs> diabetes. Um, so before something else I like about this film is I, I think the comedy is like I laughed loads throughout this film. I'm not gonna lie. Just at pathetic things as well. Like there's one scene where the Oh no, that's later on. We'll do this part first that I thought was funny, which was um where Tasha's locked in that cellar and she's trying to get uh and Chris comes along and he's like, Oh my god, it's like that pretzel house, and he's like, It's Fritzel, you idiot. <laughs> And I'm like, that's hysterical because I don't know why, but for me, I'm just like, huh, that's really funny. My, my favourite funny bit of the film is where they go into the house and they find the pie on the table and um, he takes a slice and he goes, you need to spit that out. He goes, well, you just had a slice, it doesn't matter. He's like, no, there's a nipple in the pie. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to use that to get out of awkward situations now. Whenever I want to leave somewhere in code, I'm just going to go, there's a nipple in the pie and fuck off. <laughs> It is funny, and it's disgusting when it zooms in on that nipple. You're like, oh god! It looks like a pig's teat, kind of. So, uh, like, what? if you buy belly pork, so if you buy belly pork, sometimes 
and like sorry vegans and vegetarians out there sometimes when you buy pelly pork it, it's like the like the nipples the teats are still on there oh. and it's the yeah it's vile like i had to cut it off with scissors and then it really put me off eating it reaction it's like where do you think meat comes from it's like I know oh my it, god i know where it comes from i just don't want to see its tits you don't want to be like shoving some crackling in your mouth with a little nipple on there, do you? Like suckling on that before you chomp down. That's not what you want. Everyone wants a bacon sandwich. No one wants to look at the sexy pigs. <laughs> what if the pig were alternative? What if the pig had piercings? You don't want to be munching down and get a fucking bar in your gum. I mean... <laughs> got piercings, they've got tattoos. Well, they do, don't they? You always get like a big like stamp on your meat when you're cooking it. You think, is that edible ink? There's oh, other there ways. So pigs are the metalers of the animal world. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but yes, that was that is <laughs> that is a funny part in the film. And then I don't know why I found the next part so funny when he's vomited. And he's like looking through and he's like, there's a toe in here as well. And there's like a massive toe. It's not even ground up or anything. And you're like, why would you not know it's a massive toe in your pie? What we should probably mention as well, um, just because it becomes relevant to the plot later, is that Mrs. Hanning, is that a name, Hanning? Sorry. <clears throat> Mrs. Hanning is actually wrapping up the meat that she's collecting and she puts it in a basket, but mm, where's she taking it? She's uh, She appears to be doing a uh, League of Gentlemen and passing it around folk. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, even, even with the aside, the fact that it's human flesh, if you were buying your sausages from somewhere and there's huge chunks of poe or something there, something there you'd be annoyed by the quality you go you know what i'm gonna buy my body part sausages from another supplier going forward it, it looks like the meat that she's selling well that she's giving away giving selling we don't know which we never find out but it appears that that's like the prime meat so she's wrapped it up all nice and it looks all presentable so maybe she's just having the shit part of the meat she's having the nipples and the toes yeah it's like she's eating the offal and the town get the prime cut um what i do just to clarify, um, the key word that you were saying there is a peer, because I think at the end of the film we learn um, about um, the people that she's selling this produce to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it does appear that she's um, selling meat in a League of Gentlemen type way, but she and Isha. Also, I do need to ask this. So obviously we, we know that Hanning is earning her money through or potentially earning her money through selling me but how first of all how the hell does she afford that mansion i think they've just taken it over uh, i think no, it's just been that they've squatted there they've like moved in sort of thing no i think this is i think it's a case of it's passed through hands so it's gonna be a generational inbred kind of thing because obviously when they go in she says the portrait's on the wall Portraits on walls. That's my that's my ancestor. So clearly, this is a house handed down through generations, kind of deal. I'm sorry, that portrait is fuck ugly and hilarious. If you got a good <laughs> look at it, honestly, I was pissing. I, well, I weren't pissing myself too early in the morning to be pissing myself, but I I was like, oh my god, that's proper funny. I love the idea. People just come in. It's like, oh yeah, I got got these photos of my nan from the uh, from the war. Look at there. You go. <laughs> She's fuck ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say as well? 
I don't think I've ever heard Fuck Ugly before, but I, I love it. Fuck Ugly is amazing, so I'm going to use that forever. Oh, you've, never heard, it, it, you've never heard Fugly? I've Fuckin heard ugly. Fuck Ugly. Fuck Ugly. Oh, oh. Mate, if I tell you that um, Nick Frost uses it a lot in Edgar Wright films, then are you going to still like it? Yeah, I love it. I, I, you know, I'm not going to take someone's amazing words away from them just okay. because they're not in other things. And then my second thing, this is a, a genuine, why can none of her children speak? Because she speaks to them and she raised Thank you. Them. Thank I you. I said exactly the same in my head, not to Chris, because I weren't allowed to speak during this film because apparently I was talking too much at the beginning. Um, <laughs> but it's like, why... why why can they only do grunts and yet she can speak perfect Queen's English? Like, the, I mean, they look stupid, but that doesn't mean you can't learn words. I probably True. said that wrong, which makes me sound stupid. <laughs> you can't learn words. Face speaks words good. <laughs> I'm doing a Kevin from Office and I'm cutting out certain words to save myself time. I'm not doing that. Um, yeah, I don't understand why they can't speak. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. In, in the same way that you find out, obviously, at the end, that the people eating the meat, they're just the same. So I don't know if it, But she's eating the meat, so she won't be able to talk. I don't know. We're going to have to reach out to someone and ask, because this is a dead end for that investigation part. Is I think with 100 grand budget, people were being paid by the word. And they just went, no. <laughs> so there's no money left in the budget. Ah, the, the Nicolas Cage take. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess um, Richard, Richard Lee O'Donnell, you're going to have to tell us because I know that you're going to listen to this. <laughs> also, when they go into the house, like, I mean, I, I know I'm backtracking and we're all over the place with this, but it's fine because it's just a, it's a fun film, so it doesn't matter. But, um, the bit where they are looking at the fuck ugly portrait and they start playing the music in the background and it's all weird and oldie on the gramophone. It's like, why do you never find that, you know, inbreds, rednecks and cannibals, they don't have like fucking Taylor Swift on in background or Queen. <laughs> it's, always, it's always something oldie and menacing. No, and if I was going to be like um, like a really weird serial cannibal killer, I don't think, like, my choice would be, oh, I'm going to play something really mysterious and freak them out. I'd be like, I'm going to like Britney on and get them, like, yes. diving away and having a really good time and then come in and kill them because that's going to fuck with their mind. I'd be, I'd be, Taylor, I'd be Taylor Swift in it. Oh, look what you made me do. <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem is you got to... You gotta have something to draw people in as well. It's there's a danger because you go as you say, Brittany Mercer's gone in to investigate. It's like beautiful South Faye's going in to investigate. Any male ever, I'm wandering in. But you put drum and bass on. I'm not even fucking going in now. So I'm gonna no. You turn that shit off before I even set foot in. Mate, if you want to attract any British member of the public to a weird house in the middle of nowhere, you either blast out Bohemian Rhapsody or you blast out uh, Mr. Brightside by killers and they will come in fucking drones. They will swarm there because British people cannot resist a fucking sing-along to Mr. Brightside. In one crucial song, which we don't want to admit it, but secretly inside, everyone does it. Is it the greatest thing, Think of boys. 
Everybody. I, am not, I am not showing up to a cannibal party for Venga Boys. You would jive when he mega mix, maybe, but not Venga oh, Boys. That is the worst, is the worst ever. <laughs> Honestly, like, do you know what? Play that eat man. I don't care. Just stop this noise from entering my ears. We should move on back to the film. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it is interesting that they can't speak. Um, and then again. The humour in this film, I don't know why I find it so funny. I pissed myself so many times. There's one, a really, there's a really funny scene, in my opinion, where Malcolm and Dean run into the house and they're hiding in the bedroom and we've got, like, this focus on Malcolm talking to Dean and Dean's against this door. Malcolm's like, you do realise there's another door, right? And I just proper pissed myself because I'm like, that's so funny. Because, like, it's, again, it's one of them things where you like, it's just real. For me, it's real. Like, you know, there's that focused on, I've come in this way, this is how I protect myself. And it's like, yeah, there's that. Um, and then Malcolm's Tracer Weapons. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I can't believe it, blah. from a distance. It's not even a nail gun, do you know what I mean? It's like, there's no way, I'm sorry, I like this film, but there's no way that them staples would stick in that man's head with the, the force that they come out of the staple. It looks like an industrial one. So it, it weren't like your, your normal office stapler. It looked like a full-on in-the-board teacher stapler like that. I, I, I honestly don't believe it would get enough traction to, like, stick into someone's head. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then his amazing attempt to attack him with a tape measure that he just throws at him. That, like, that was silly. He should have just played dead on the ground at that point and just waited for his escape. Open it up and wrap it around his neck. It would cut him and strangle him at the same time. Did you, you not think that the cannibals were like they were straight out of Parson Cross? <laughs> anyway, anyone who didn't know Parson's Cross, Google it. Uh, Parson's Cross, Sheffield. <laughs> Oh, 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 yeah, I loved what the cannibals were wearing because they were like proper chavs, like with the trackies yeah. on um, and the cleft lips. They were from Parsons Cross. Um, I mean, also, I don't all think they came from the same dad. They are all very, very different. Much like Parsons Cross. <laughs> I think some of them might have been father-brother combinations. Mm. Mm. Okay, okay. I'm going to start I'm just going to start sound clipping the gag and just stop reading it after everything we say. <laughs> just like passing cross, just like passing cross. I think another, for me, a, a quite obvious choice was to kill Malcolm. But for some reason, I didn't think they were going to do it. I didn't want them to. I really no. didn't. Like, out of, out of all of them, I thought he should have been the one that survived. I felt really sorry for him. He's such a dweeb. Um, I know. <laughs> he's just desperate to be liked, though. So I feel sorry. I, I feel bad now calling him a dweeb, and I've only just done it, and it's just a character. But he's so desperate to be liked. But, um, yeah, it came as, uh, like, again, I've seen this film before, so it weren't, like, a massive shock when he died, because I knew it was going to happen. But I will put myself back in first watch scenario. And it was a bit like... It, it, it felt like it came out of the blue, although it had the exact build-up that you would expect for him to die. That's, yeah, that's, as we were saying, though, that's what all, most of the deaths in this. They do feel like they come completely out of the blue. And because we got that set up earlier and we lose Chris right at the start, 
that said of that no one is no one is safe. So when these do come out, the you can't telegraph these. You can't see these come in. So when they do happen, yeah, it is a shock. Is a shock. You do go, oh shit! Can't believe I've actually done that. Yeah, I will well, say can... though that when when she does stab him, um, there's no way that knife would have gone right the whole way through him, like we see. If we're talking logistics again, it'd have gone halfway in. It might have hobbled off and survived. Again, I think we, I think we need to at some point bring Lauren on to consult her about all these deaths that we think won't be possible, but they seem to get away with in film. I mean, I don't know how big the knife was. But... It didn't look big enough to go the whole. I mean, I know it was skinny, but it, yeah. and you know, I can't speak about that. But <laughs> I don't think it. I don't think it would have gone the whole way through him. But yeah, still, I, I was still a bit. Like I said, it was unexpected, but should have been expected. I think that's something that the film did really well in the fact that, you know, we know, like, it's not difficult. The only character that, I, like, was a true shock that I was like, they're going to survive is Tasha because of her being the female lead. Um, so you thought, you know, standardly, that would be, like, like a classic trope, isn't it? The young female character survives. We've also not mentioned Mr. Carpet if it had been done dirty. Because that poor bugger, he only turned, he, he did a dust till dawn. He turned up, he's like, what's going on? Went to leave and that's it, throat slit. Poor little bugger. I mean, to be fair, you know, she, she probably did him a favour because now he didn't have to face his bitch of a daughter every day. <laughs> I mean, he was a bit whiny as well. Um, so, you know, bless I the this might have been the point where Chris told me to shut up because when he first came on screen, I'm like, oh, and now it's your Phoenix nights. That's what he felt like. Saying, saying about him, Nigel, rocking up at the end, that's, there's some bits here that just seem a bit throwaway or if there's a draft from an early script because his daughter, when he goes, oh, you okay, locking up, and she's on the phone and going, oh, yeah, I finished work early. You want to do something? Absolutely no need for that scene to be in there in any way, shape, or form, unless in an earlier draft they did something with it. Or unless she's just a bitch, and it just goes to show you that she just sods off the minute he's not there. I think it was probably there to highlight the fact that um, even though he'd said, that I think there's something wrong going on, that she's that self-centred that it didn't really matter to her. She just wanted to go out and party. What would have been cool is if actually we had, not cool, it would have been predictable, but I would have liked it, if the cannibals did talk and the person she was on the phone to, she was like, um, you know, I finished early, should we hook up? And then she hooked up and went to that house because she was dating one of the cannibals. See? That might have been that's, quite a cool, like, that's, oh, shit. That's what, I, that's what I thought they were going to go with because, you know, when they find the rug, in the house earlier on and they go oh she's been into the store I thought yeah. it was going to be with him or her setting the carpet fitters up the go there, the bee victims but oh, no that would have been interesting what would have been even more interesting is if it was Mrs Hannah that she was having an affair with well you know maybe part two there could be a part two one day because FYI, it's Hanning, not Hannah. But yes, that would have been quite cool. Like Hanning, like Mrs. Hannigan. Hannigan. That must be where it come from. Or yeah, I do get what you felt. That did feel like a throwaway scene. Um, 
but may- maybe it is for a potential, or maybe at the time it was put in for a potential sequel. Because if we think about the film, it doesn't give us a nice cutty cutter ending. So it could have been, there could have been the idea of a sequel there, I think. Hmm. I suppose that's a perfect segue onto the, the ending itself. And Dean and Colin are sole, are sole two survivors at this point looking to escape and find themselves in I wouldn't call it, it's not a village it's a series of barns and sheds <laughs> they're on Emmerdale <laughs> it, cle- it clearly is though it's not a town it's not a village there's no there's not like there's houses and shops it's clearly a series of stables and barns and bits and pieces when they turn up there maybe it's a tie-in with Inbred is it called Inbred Dominic's film Yes. Yeah, maybe I it's don't... a time with inbred. Don't think it is, but interesting theory. You know, I mean, what what's to say, right? You know, you you know, Marvel are doing it. They're creating all these uni- like multiverses, and you know, Conjuring's trying it and failing. But <laughs> what if other filmmakers are doing it and they're interlinking films as well? That'd be quite cool. That you know, you don't see that enough. You should have more interlinks with smaller films. To other smaller films. I, I like, I'd like to see that. That would be quite cool, actually, because it would be quite cool to have the stories running simultaneously and then, like, we'll use inbred, but, like, having that inbred story going on, having the cannibal and carpet fitters going on, then having a crossover world where they're, like, you know, the survivors first, survivors, yeah. although they're survivors in inbred, but, you know what I mean, like, like a little bit of a crossover would be, that would be quite cool. Let's get that out there to people. We should. We definitely should. I mean, we've just done it. We've just got it out there. There we go. We've just. Dom- we know how much Dominic Brunt and James Bush both listen to our podcast. <laughs> the huge fans that they are. We'll tag no, them. We'll tag them. We'll tag them in the episode. So the, the, the thing is, there are a lot of films out there that you see at festivals and um, that you see on Prime and such, and they do get a following. It, it might not be like the biggest cult following, but there is a following for them and you are aware of them. So I think, you know, just as a nice little tie-in, it'd be good to see something like that. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm not saying we've started revolution here. We definitely haven't. Yeah. But, you know. But back to this one. So you are right. We do. We end up in a series of bonds, Chris. And what do we discover? It's a village of cannibals. Well, it's not we being a village of cannibals. Inbred cannibals with the looks of it, because quite a lot of them have got some kind of um, abnormality. Um, what is interesting, Amasa, is it appears like none of these cannibals can speak, for they clearly grunt. Mm-hmm. Yet before we meet adult cannibals, we meet children cannibals who are perfectly um, capable of speaking. How is this? Maybe they've only been fed small amounts of flesh. So oh. they've been they've been fed like elbows and ears. So like it turns people feral as they eat human human flesh, therefore they lose that human nature and they move, revert more to animal type. That that could work. Yeah. Except Mrs. Allen doesn't revert. Maybe but she's always with the problems. <laughs> she, she's a vegan. We don't know, do we? We don't know. Um, but no, I like the end of this film as well because it it it, it doesn't give us a cookie cutter ending. It it does leave it open. We don't know what's going to happen to Colin and Dean. Um, 
And then what I, I do love, and it's such a sh cheesy shit line, but he says it earlier on in the film, and he says it at the end, carpet fitters don't cry. And I'm just like, no, they don't. Were you, were you well enough at that point, Mercer? Were you just influenced, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, See, I, I, I put down that carpet fitters don't cry as the follow-up to Fergie's big boys don't cry. Carpet fitters don't cry. Also, the ending as well. Um, it's it's stylistically very thriller in that whole kind of circling them and then becoming more surrounded and more surrounded. I don't know why I said more surrounded twice. I should have just said more and more surrounded. <laughs> See, I'm wasting words now, just fucking throwing them away. Giving them away. Giving them away to people who are willing to listen. Uh, I think it might have looked nice if there were a lot more people surrounding them and, and the the threat was greater than what it is because I'm not going to say like taking on like six people's piss easier, but six people yeah. versus 20 people. There's, still more numbered. There's more than six there, surely. There must be about... They're in double didn't, figures. I didn't actually count them, Chris. Jesus! Stop being so pedantic. The, 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 point I'm, the, point, the point I'm making is there's, I think there's actually qu quite a lot of them there around them, enough mm. to make it a serious threat. They're outnumbered. So Yeah, well, you're outnumbered if it's one against two, but it's not as scary as one against 50, is it? I think anyone coming towards me, mate, looking like a cannibal, like they're going to chomp on my face, it's going to be scary, regardless of numbers. With a hoe. With a hoe. The, the tool, you, not a slag. No, whenever someone's got a hoe, you know you're in trouble because nobody walks at you with a hoe unless they're going to stick it in you. I mean, they might walk at you with a machete or something um, and not actually want to kill you. Just They might have just been chopping something, but you, no one comes at you with a hoe. A hoe that's going to stick it in you. That's going to stick it in you. That's what they're going to do. Um, but I do like the end of this film. And just to revert back, Chris and, not Chris, Dean and Colin, I think are two absolutely fantastic um, protagonists. I think their relationship's really funny. And they're, they're, for me, they're the most believable relationship in the film. Um, and even though sometimes, like, I've got this issue with acting where I think, like, if you know they're acting, it feels forced. And sometimes it felt a bit forced. But overall, I think they definitely kind of brought brought that film to life. I'd okay. watch them in course. So, uh, just as a quick wrap-up then, what would you say was your favourite death scene in the film? Tasha's arrow through the head out of nowhere. I think definitely, definitely. So unexpected. I think that's pretty cool, but I actually, my favourite death is Gillian's The Axe Through the Head, just because just because of the way it's filmed and the, the fact that, like, obviously there's a an edit there to put that dummy in, but I just think that looks really good. And if you had to sum up this case in one sentence, I'm going to go with A first this time because Mercer went first last time. One word, sum it up. One, sen one sentence to sum up this case before we close the file. Meaty murder on the farm. Nice. Kind of nice. a farm in it, right? Is a, a farm. Go on, Mercer. Uh, Copy don't cry, but they do get killed quite easily. No lies detected. And yours, Chris? 
I've got I've got nothing as I've got nothing as clever to go go with. So I will just say as he, frantic, as he frantically googles an answer. Um, yeah, because often, often the amount of times people pop into Google, can I come up with a one-sentence response to how would you sum up a closed file for carpet fears? You would be surprised. You would be surprised what you can find on Google. I would say cannibals make sausages, not cupcakes, like the carpet fears. <laughs> because they're cupcakes, because they die really easy. <laughs> That is, yeah, the, 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 the rate of cupcake crime in this in this country is ridiculous. There you go, surrealism. It's the dead. It's the dead art form. Okay, so before we do, just close this file. As always, we do like to grade our films. It wouldn't be us without it. So we've all given our our little individual scores here. Mercer, tell us what it came out with. So um, it did. It did well. It didn't do as well as I would have liked it to do, if I'm being honest. But it did come out with a, a nice grade of C. So it definitely passed the test. And I do think that um, I do think the more you watch it, the more you'll appreciate some of it. And 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 I do think, it, yeah, it it's a C. All right, it got a C. There we go. But that's good. We're happy with a C. A C for cannibal. And a C for carpet fitter. And a C for cupcake. Mm-hmm. We're apparently just getting murdered all over the shop. All of it, Shank. They do. Cupcake crime, it's on the rise. Right, say goodbye, Faye. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Mercer. So long. Goodbye, everyone. This file is closed. All over the shop. All of it, Shank. They do. <laughs> Cupcake crime, it's on the rise. Right, say goodbye, Faye. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Mercer. So long. Goodbye, everyone. This file is closed.